this old magic. Something I should have foreseen. But no matter, no matter. Things have changed. I can touch you. Welcome again to Novel Ideas of the Illiterati, and this week we're covering Harry Potter 4, a book that is many people's favorites and hopefully no one's favorite movie, and we'll delve into exactly why. So, Michael, any thoughts? On, 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 the, whole, on the whole experiment of Goblet of Fire? Yeah. Rereading them, I'm still trying to figure out which one's my favorite, but as a kid, this one was my favorite. This is probably the Harry Potter book that I read the most. And I remember going into the theater as a child. I can't remember how old it was. I was probably around 11, 12. Walking into the theater. You know, back then, theaters, it was a great experience. You're, you're young. It's a magical event. Just going there, you're outside the house, there's this huge screen, and you're just about to watch the most magical thing ever. And you're, you're, you're excited for Harry Potter. You're about to watch a film based off of your favorite book. And then what's on screen is the worst trash you have ever seen and the first time you have ever been disappointed in a film as a kid. And it ruined everything for me. <laughs> it, it, it didn't ruin everything, but... It was clearly the first time I had been disappointed watching a film and realizing that I was watching a bad film. Yeah. It wasn't, it's not good. It's horrible. And rewatching it as an adult, it's even worse. And it's just atrocious when they ruin so many things and add things that are completely unnecessary. And we'll get into that shit. But yeah, I absolutely love the book i still love the book it's fantastic true i loathe the hell out of the movie (laughs) i hate it i hate this film yeah so like my first really reaction to reading it again it got immediately more adult than the last book significantly less recapping and i like that the first chapter is just starting off with the groundskeeper Hey, Poppy. And, um... Poppy! (laughs) First cat already. It's gonna be a loud episode now. Um, So, we start off with this already really dark event where the groundskeeper gets killed. And I like that she's already setting up for... We're gonna learn more about the Riddle family, which is really cool Mm -hmm. because it helps humanize Voldemort, helps explain his backstory. So, I'm glad, you know, we're getting the starts of that now. Um... And then, you know, you have the whole Quidditch World Cup. That whole thing is so much fun. It's the first time you're seeing a large-scale interaction of many wizards in these books. And it was Mm -hmm. really well done. And then you have, you know, the Death Eaters coming out in force. They're essentially, you know, antagonizing and messing with the Muggle family that's there, which was also much darker, I think, than a lot of the content we've had so far. And that was where I started having issues with just the movie not showing some of that. They really rushed the whole beginning. And then, you know, you get to the Quidditch World Cup and we don't see the actual match. And I know it's already a long movie. I'm going to argue there's a lot of other crap they could have cut out to show us at least some more there. You know, you don't have Winky in it at all, which kind of can make sense, but it establishes, you know, a lot more about 
the Crouch family, it establishes how, you know, she fits into the whole story of Barty Crouch Jr. escaping. Like, really one of the coolest parts of this book is that whole plot, and you don't get any of it in the movie. Yeah, they really botched the whole Crouch family stuff, in my opinion. First off, I I, I can't, I'm trying to remember it, I just, I just... I, it was funny because when you called me earlier, I literally had just finished rewatching the fourth one because it took me like three days to watch it just because I kept on uh, <laughs> turning it off. But they show Barty Crouch in the beginning scene, Barty Crouch Jr. And he's not in the beginning scene in the book, is he? I can't remember. No, it's a hooded figure that none of them recognized and... I mean, Harry's also with everyone, so they're all watching this happen, and they're confused. And that's one of, I think, my really big gripes with it. And I found out the name of... There's a YouTube channel I mentioned earlier, and I realized the name is Movie Flame. And I liked it so much because this YouTuber took it upon himself to reread all the books and do the analysis of the movies. And it was weird because watching it, it was pretty much all of the issues I had with this movie that he kind of pointed out. And... That's one of the big ones. So people can just forego this podcast and just go watch that. And <laughs> no, because they're so damn charismatic. Um, <laughs> well, no, but I mean, he really pointed out this is a very mysterious book. And that's why so many people were into it, because there's a lot of intrigue all at once. And there's a lot of things right. you're questioning throughout. Who did the dark mark? Um, is Barty Crouch Jr. son guilty or not? Who put Harry's name in the goblet? who actually attacked Barty Crouch Sr. in the forest. There's a lot of questions in the back of your mind. And this movie kind of ignores all of them except for who put Harry's name in the goblet because you've already seen Barty Crouch Jr.'s face when he's casting the Dark Mark. You see him at the trial where in the book, that was actually a really big point. In the book, he's pleading with his dad not to let them take him away and he declares he's innocent. And in the movie, mm-hmm. they just yeah. make him immediately act like an insane person. And can we talk about that annoying fucking tongue flicking thing he keeps doing? Like, why? Yeah, I don't know who decided that? Whether whether that was David who who chose to do that, or the director told him to do that. Whoever whoever chose that, it's a stupid decision. I'm gonna say the director, and I have a lot of gripes with this director that we can get into, including the fact that. that. Well, okay, Mike Newell. He mm-hmm. inherited this whole project. He complained the whole time about how long the Goblet of Fire was. I'm not even sure if he what? did end up reading it. Yeah. Okay, that's my thing. If you're not enthused about making a movie, um, and if you're not devoted to the source material, why are you even here? It's called money. And what's crazy is he didn't want to watch all the other movies. He didn't want to read the other books. And actually, Alfonso Cuaron came up to him and just said, look, at least watch the first 40 minutes of mine and see the kind of tone that this universe is in you can get like a good feel and because he watched the beginning of prisoner of azkaban mike newell turned around and said oh well i was going to make a very dark sort of ominous movie but alfonso already did that so now i can't like he had this weird dumb competitive streak with the other directors and if you're letting that influence the whole way you're going to direct again like maybe you're just not the person for the job yeah it makes me mad they didn't choose alfonso again because fantastic director he killed the third book and he killed he kills like every single book that he's made. So it's kind of a stupid studio decision to choose a new director after the last guy did it's such a phenomenal job. But I guess 
He could have been doing another film. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know why the directors kept changing. I don't know if that was a conscious decision. But, yeah, Alfonso really knocked it out of the park with Prisoner of Azkaban and really did credit to what has long been one of my favorite Harry Potter books. And it's actually, I read that he um, really wanted them to nail the characters right. So he had Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grinton, Emma Watson write essays about their characters so he could also get a feel for how they understood the characters is that the one where they uh i think there's like a random outtake or something i've seen i've seen it on youtube where they mention what they would do if they had like a million dollars or something and they do it in character i'm not and sure I believe, that makes uh, sense though and rupert grin's like I, I, want, I would get an ice cream truck because ron kind of would but rupert grin also later on in life gets an ice cream truck which is fantastic because he, he, he pretty much embodies that character in real life. It's and great. what's funny is uh, Rupert Grant refused to do the essay. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. He just noped right out of that assignment, which actually would be a very Ron thing, so I think he nailed it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. No, and plus also, like, Alfonso, like, he definitely influenced the style of the Wizarding World more so than I think uh, Chris Columbus did, so... I'd agree with that. The look of everything, the way things are done, it's more influenced by Alfonso than anyone else. And The grounds of Hogwarts, he explored more than the other movies had so far. Yeah, and this movie does a bad job of exploring Hogwarts. There's, not a, there's a lot of really tight shots. Like, there's not, like, most of the shots are really tight and close. And so you don't get a scale of a lot of Hogwarts in general. I mean, I guess technically we got it in the last film. But with this film, you don't really get it. Like, even, like, when they're in the Grand Hall, the shots are usually really tight. Usually, the only time there were wide shots was when the other schools came in. There was some wide shots. But even with those, they were pretty tight on just, like, a couple of characters. Yeah, and, I mean, my other issue straight off the bat, for some reason, the other magical schools... Bobaxon and Durmstrang got turned into all girls and all boys schools, which is definitely not canon. And we gotta have the battle of the sexes. We gotta have the battle of the sexes. It's so cool. Yeah, no. Ugh. And that whole stupid introduction of them, like, okay, the carriage and the ship coming in, those are undeniably dope. I liked that a lot. But then you've got the girls are coming in and they're tittering and butterflies are they're doing like this weird orgasm my boyfriend's like why do they yeah. sound like they're moaning yes <sighs> and then the Durmstrang boys come in i know and they're just banging their sticks and sparks are coming another out. euphemism and it's just like why did you need this whole thing yes and i think honestly it this is also i realized probably the reason i did not like new dumbledore it was because of the director because he was fine in Prisoner of Azkaban, but then in this one, they have Dumbledore yell a lot, which is so out of character. And again, clearly someone directed this who did not have an understanding or appreciation of the source material because that is exactly against what Dumbledore is all about. He is a calm but powerful individual. Yeah, and he thinks things through before like really doing things. Yeah, and there's the infamous, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And it was just so jarring, and I didn't like yeah, it at all. And he's, like, rushing Harry. It's so bizarre. Oh, yeah, when he grabs Harry's cut and hurts Harry, I mean, that's just so uncharacteristic of him. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. It's, yeah, I completely agree. Dumbledore's played horribly in this film. 
and it, like you're like you said, it probably is the director's fault. There's like other instances when he when he's talking to Harry at the Pensieve, and it's just really kind of aggressive talking. Like he's somewhat nice when he's like, "Oh, curiosity is not a bad thing," but he's just like so aggressive and like he's showing so much how sad and depressed he is. And Dumbledore doesn't really do that. He's always this figure that. No matter how bad things get, he has composure and knows the right thing to do. But in that scene, it just seems like he's so distraught and doesn't know yeah. what to do because he had just had a conversation. Because that's right after Barty Crouch is killed, which it's so awkward in the film. It's really awkward in the film when Barty Crouch is killed because no one really mentions it. And Her- Harry's just wa- no. just slowly walks into Dumbledore's office when he's like rushing because Barty Crouch wasn't dead at this point in the book and he was like trying to find help. He was just rambling incoherently, yeah. Yeah, and it's really awkward in the film. He's just like slowly walking in. They're having like this other conversation that I guess was supposed to be about Barty Crouch but it didn't really sound like it. And then they leave and it's really awkward and rewatching this they make it so obvious that Moody was the one who put his name in the fire. Like, there's so many obvious things that they do. Well, they have him lurking around with his eye that makes a whirring noise for some reason. It sounds like a lens. A lot of things just don't make sense. And he's got this, the eyes, like, on a strap around his face, which can work stylistically, but, I mean, in the book, it's not so weird because it's just an eye he literally pops into his socket. But I guess they were going for a whole steampunky, Mad-Eye Moody aesthetic. But it's stupid, too, because the eye is supposed to look through things but you never actually see him look through it. I guess it doesn't matter, but it's no. that's what the eye is supposed Well, it does. They do bring it up when Harry's outside of Dumbledore's office and he says this conversation's no longer private. Potter is outside the door. But like you have some setup of that in the book because it talks about how Harry's wearing his invisibility cloak and Moody sees him. Yeah, it's a great scene in the book. Yeah, I love that one. And his leg is mm-hmm. like stuck in that trick step. That was really fun. Yeah, it's a nice suspenseful scene, and there's not really any suspense in this entire film when this entire book is a mystery novel with no, su- and the movie has no suspense. Absolutely yeah. none. And you know what's funny for me? I think it was a really clever way to introduce Moody's character, especially in direct, I think, comparison to Lupin. So it's something common among, I think, bad adults that kids think is cool is when someone's on your side mm-hmm. and you're causing trouble. And not that you know this was a different situation than like someone who's predatory with kids but like there is that sort of trope of you know lupin was friendly with harry but he still knew when to draw a line like when he had the marauders map and he's like someone could find you with this don't be stupid and then mad eye is just getting him out of trouble left and right with no like actual responsible adult edge so like Reading that as an adult, you see more red flags. I think than when you're young, you're just like, Mad Eye's so cool. Like, he gets it, you know? Yeah. It's funny, too, because it's not actually Mad Eye Moody. And so everyone kind of has a wrong interpretation of Mad Eye. Just because for an entire book, yeah, you have a different person playing Mad Eye, who, who he thinks Mad Eye actually is. Which, I mean, technically, I guess in the book, he does a good job. He spends his time researching Mad-Eye and figuring out what he would do and what he wouldn't do. So he probably plays it close, but he definitely 
you know, being Barty Crouch Jr., it's interest. It's just, it's just interesting. Like uh, going back, I'm like, I wonder if I actually like Mad Eye or not, or if I just like this Mad Eye. <laughs> and also, in a way, because like how yeah. you mentioned that he's getting Harry out of trouble, he's kind of the, in a way, what Snape is to Malfoy. So, Barty Crouch slash Moody is trying to get close to Harry in order to gain the trust, so that he can help out the Dark Lord. Snape is close to Malfoy to sort of keep tabs on the Death Eaters and basically rely things to Dumbledore. So it's kind of uh, the opposite foil of Snape. Yeah, that's a good point. And even then, Snape was doing it for ulterior motives, you know? It wasn't just, you know, I'm loyal to House Slytherin. He was just keeping in close kind of rapport Mm -hmm. with the Malfoy family. So that was really cleverly done for sure. Now, I want to talk about my big, big grievance with this movie. And that is the first (laughs) task. Because... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's obvious, but come on. You could have ended the scene, or, you know, done it like the book, where Harry gets the firebolt, he's kind of dodging the dragon, keeping it... Like, it does fly up to the limit of its chain and Harry like uses that to keep it hovering and then distracts it and dives down and grabs the egg and that could have been fine but no no why do that when we can waste all this time and CG like all the stuff we could have shown with the Quidditch cup where it actually belonged we're gonna have a dragon chase you around the castle where oh Dumbledore's magically just chill with this that this dragon's going around wreaking havoc on all the shingles <laughs> of the Hogwarts Towers. I mean, I know I'm downplaying it, but that's a very dangerous thing for someone like him to be okay with. You know, the person who stopped Harry from plummeting to his death and was so against Dementors there, but a loose dragon is totally fine. Well, it's not just Dumbledore. It's the entire ministry and everyone, all the other adults involved as well. No one decides, hey, let's get a broom and try to help. Supposedly they had things in place as they mentioned, to prevent a horrible thing from happening. And yet, when a horrible thing happens, they do jack all to actually fix it. And they're like, all right, we'll just watch this play out, which makes absolutely no sense. And is as, that's literally my no. least favorite scene in the entire film. Uh, and since you brought it up, the, uh, you brought up one, how, how rushed the beginning is. And then you, you, you mentioned this, this part. So I, I decided to look at it, and so in the first 35 minutes of the film, so the first 35 minutes, they go through 287 pages of this book. They did 287 pages in 35 minutes. So that's about, uh, I think it's eight pages per minute, um, would, would, would be roughly the, uh, the, uh, the estimate. So basically, it's so rushed, they're jumping eight pages at a time every minute. Then we get to this dragon sequence. This dragon sequence goes on for four minutes and 34 seconds. So that means eight times four, 32, uh, and then 30, that, that that would be 36 pages. That's basically 36 pages based on how rushed everything was in the beginning half. And so that, that dragon sequence in that book is, is what? Two pages, I think? Maybe? Maybe three? Four? At most? 
And so they basically extended this dragon yeah, sequence right. for uh, 32 extra pages. And it's, it's ridiculous. Um, the whole him hanging on the ledge lasts for a minute. It's like the one suspenseful thing they decided to do in this film, and it's the stupidest thing. And doesn't really add to anything of the story. It's just, hey, we're making a kid's film. we got to have an action sequence. And I hate this scene so much because, one, the book does it so much better. It, like, all the things you mentioned about Harry being strategic and doing the dive, things like that, it plays to Harry's cunningness. This is just, oh, Harry can outchase a dragon. And then no one actually stops the yeah. dragon in the movie. It's still off its chain. It makes absolutely no sense. And the worst part is the director actually wanted to make this scene longer. Oh, he fuck. wanted the dragon to chase Harry into the Forbidden Forest and then burn most of it down or a lot of it down. Something that is so, again, inconceivably stupid because the Forbidden Forest is important for a lot of things. Again, no one would have allowed this to happen. Like, he, I think, just set out to make a sort of kind of blockbustery movie with a lot of intensity because I think that's what led to a lot of the loud Dumbledore. Like, every conversation in this is so tense. I noticed that a lot looking back because they just wanted to keep you on edge a lot and introduce suspense where mm -hmm. it didn't need to be and it just comes off as very tone deaf to me because there's enough harrowing material in here like the stuff he kept out the muggles the like all the really scary parts of them running around after the death eaters you know cause chaos and instead yeah he's just interjecting it in the wrong places yeah no completely agree with you this director sucks ass yeah and it also comes across in different conversations, like when Hermione snaps back, I'm not an owl. And like, she's not happy about having to go between Harry and Ron in the book either, but she's not randomly yelling at them or after the Yule Ball, where she's like, Harry, where have you been? Off to bed, both of you. Like, it's just, it's awkward as hell oh, watching it. He, yeah, he makes Hermione very bossy and she's not really bossy. Like, she has the thing she's, you know, she's very, uh, I wouldn't ever say Hermione's aggressive in any sort of way. Like, she's very, she's usually composed. I mean, she gets angry at Malfoy for, at times, but really level-headed for the most part. And the way she's, the director has her play in this is stupid. One, she's extremely bossy, and then there's other scenes where she's just overly dramatic. And it's really stupid. Like, uh... The scene where Fred and George are putting their names into the Goblet of Fire. She's like, it's not going to work. Like, she basically turns towards the camera. And all, I, she almost, like, looks at it and breaks the fourth wall. And it's horrible and awkward and just bad directing. Well, I think he was obsessed with gender stereotypes, honestly. It comes across with other magical schools. He makes Hermione act like a stereotypical kind of bitch girl with those scenes and the one you just mentioned yeah that sing-songy thing is weird and also it comes off that way because that that's not how Hermione mm -hmm. should be portrayed and it also it's funny I noticed in the book when Rita Skeeter writes about Hermione she calls her pretty 
And in the movie, it really annoys me because the article starts, Hermione Granger, a plain but ambitious girl. And that bugs me because, okay, I can understand in the interest of time, you might leave off the whole other mystery of how is Rita Skeeter getting all this information and Hermione cleverly figuring out she's turning into a beetle. But in the movie, they kind of made it like she's not pissed off that she is getting these sort of intimate conversations. It makes it like she's annoyed that she's writing that she's plain. Yeah, because in the book, Hermione doesn't care that she, she that Rita's talking about her. She she tries to play off, um, not plays off, but she is she's not affected by them as much as Rita wants her to be. She's only affected by things in the book when people start sending her horrible letters that cause her to get boils and affect like her life so it's stupid i completely agree it's stupid how they did it in the movie um completely changes it and yeah i don't i don't like how hermione's played in this movie i mean i don't like how a lot of the characters are played as much as i i like mad eye for the most part they're like i hate i guess when they make things very obvious that it was him pretty early on and that's more directing stuff i don't think it has anything to do with brendan gleason because i fucking love brendan gleason he's one of my favorite character actors and he's fantastic but yeah a lot of most most of these characters are stupid you know it's funny you're right because go ahead yeah you're so right because watching this with my boyfriend he was immediately within the first like 10 minutes he said that guy put his name in the goblet (laughs) i'm like shit see that's how you can tell this was set up too much because he's already calling it yeah i think because because what is it they have the first shot of moody is him coming it's a it's a wide shot of hogwarts and he's coming through the woods in the book you're just already in the great hall and he just walks in and he's really wet from the rain so it just the him the fact that he's walking in from the woods makes things very obvious. The other scene that makes things very obvious is when Moody t- is talking to Barty Crouch. Literally, it's the scene, it's literally the shot right before Barty Crouch is dead in the woods. And you have him do, you have Mad-Eye Moody do the whole licking thing, which just makes everything extremely obvious. Like, it's not supposed to be obvious. You're not supposed to know until... Harry is back in Hogwarts after the whole episode with Voldemort and Mad-Eye relays everything or, or Barty relays everything. Yeah, and see, that's another one of those examples of him just not caring about source material. So hold on, I'll get to that because first of all, you have them leaving Moody's classroom after he's done the unforgivable curses and they're walking down the same staircase that is only leads to where Trelawney's class is in previous movies and the books. No other classrooms up there, but he probably just wanted to copy that really kind of cinematic staircase, but it makes no fucking sense why they're going down right. that after that class. So well, that's an issue. T- to be fair, also, in the third movie, they don't have the classroom in the attic space either. They don't go up. Yeah, they do. There's all those shots of them going down the stairs, like especially after Hermione knocks over the ball and Harry and Ron are walking down that staircase. Right, they're going downstairs, but they're supposed to. It's supposed to be a uh, a ceiling latch staircase that they go up. It's supposed to be basically like an attic space in the book, at least. 
But I think the spiral staircase yeah, leads up to yeah. that. But still, it's just like, there's no other classroom right. up there. I don't know. That just bugs me. Like, he just wanted to use it. And then in that whole conversation that you're talking about, Fake Moody comes up to Barty Crouch and says, you're not trying to get Potter into one of your summer internship programs at the ministry, are you? Which, first of all, that's not a thing, or at least not a thing we've heard of. It's just something they made up for the movie. And then he mentions, the last boy that went to the Department of Mysteries never came out. The Department of Mysteries, as it's named, is supposed to be something people don't fucking know about. Not something you casually bring up to the to crouch and to harry who's a student who knows nothing about it like it's just it's one of those things it's just not known about yet and it completely ruins the mystery of when they find out about it in the fifth book because again it's not a common thing people well they do are aware they do of. mention it in the book but they only mention it as um with uh mr weasley saying that that person works for the ministry or he works for the secrecy or something he mentions it to percy or like they're just sort of like having their their special talk because percy's trying to look all cool that he works at the ministry and he says something and then uh i believe uh mr weasley like turns to harry and he's like oh that's the ministry of mystery and i don't really know no one knows what goes there that's about all that you hear in the in the book right so he works there and he brings it up but they make a point in the book that no one mm -hmm. knows what happens there so the idea that they let interns go into the department of mysteries like it's just again one of those things where like you're making things up for the sake of the movie that don't pan out and are kind of plot holes and one thing that made me laugh is when they're in the maze and you've got you know mind control crumb walking around and he's dueling with Cedric. Cedric uses the Expelliarmus, you know, spell, and Crumb falls over holding his wand. Yeah, yeah, it, did, it didn't work. It didn't. It didn't no, Expelliarmus it, it, at it all. Turned, it turned into a stun <laughs> spell, which makes no sense because it's not a stun spell. <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah, because what didn't Snape also get like thrown into the wall, and it was actually really the thrust of the wall that knocked him out, not so much the actual spell. Yeah, uh, it's it's. Stupid. I hate the maze scene in the movie. That's it pissed me off when it when it happened. I mean, I somewhat get it uh, because they didn't touch on the whole magical creatures with Hagrid teaching and stuff in the movie, which I can understand why they didn't do. But it's stupid. I hate I hate the maze attacking. It's so much cooler watching Harry have to try to be cunning with the with the sphinx which is a riddle you can work out and i knew you liked that <laughs> right yeah, you know I, li I liked i like i it made me so much ha it made me happier uh that you can actually figure it out um there, there's a lot of things that jk rowling her writing was so much better than the previous books uh I, her poems or songs or whatever were, were a lot better and they uh they flowed and had like cadence but yeah the, the 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 maze in the movie sucks it's because in the book harry's like wondering why there's no creatures attacking him he's trying to figure out why it's easier than he expected which the whole point is barty jr slash mad eye was affecting it the whole time he was he was getting rid of the the monsters in harry's way so that harry could get to the to the Triwizard Cup faster. Yeah, and they never mention in the movie that the reason Crumb is bewitched is because fake Moody 
did the Imperius curse on him to control him. They sort of make it that the maze did it because Dumbledore talks to the kids right before they go in. Is like, you might lose your minds going into the maze. Which is just not the point. It's supposed to test all of the spells they know. And that's why there's this whole bit in the book where Harry's learning curses and, you know, jinxes and all that. He's training for that. And, yeah, the director did say something about the maze, too, where he's like, I wanted to make it really psychological and it's testing you. And it's like, well, you totally missed the point of the maze then, because that's not what it's supposed to be. It's like he definitely, he forewent all the other things that, He's like, oh, I didn't want to make it a dark movie anymore, but then the maze. He wanted to make the maze really dark. It makes no sense because the entire book's fucking dark. It's such a dark book, and I love it. I I loved it as a kid. I loved how dark it was as a kid. It was just, like, the right amount of darkness for a kid's book. Also, I noticed Mm -hmm. one small thing. When they're sitting there talking about the ball, which actually is one of the really kind of cool scenes because you've got them talking about asking girls out, and I actually thought that scene flowed well. And, you know, Snape's hitting them over the head. And Fred does the really OG move of throwing a piece of parchment in Angela and asking her out. I was like, that's, that's pretty boss, Fred. Like, I'd say yes to that. But but what really struck me there is they're writing in composition books. Like, composition notebooks. <laughs> which is not a thing no, they, they would have used. Everywhere yeah. else, they're writing on parchment. They have pieces of spare... It's mentioned a lot how many pieces of parchment they have, and suddenly you're using composition notebooks. It's just so weird. You know, they probably couldn't, you know, after all that CGI with the dragon, they couldn't afford parchment paper. They had to get (laughs) comprehensive books. (laughs) 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 Oh, it sucks. Another another thing that I like that the movie did that the book didn't is make Neville more confident when it came to the whole dancing stuff. I actually thought that played well with his character, like... He's more of a he's a he's a kid of a different breed. He's more confident when it comes to the dancing, and it just it's kind of sweet seeing Neville having a good time because he's just so distraught the rest of his fucking life. <laughs> so I do like what they did with Neville's character in this film. I mean, there are things that did well in my opinion. I loved the prefect bathroom, the like kind of rainbow ordered like colorful Mm -hmm. foam and just the sheer magnitude of that I was like I want that bathroom and then the whole scene with Moaning Myrtle was well done and the like mermaid on the glass um although they made her I think they upped her creep factor a bit for the movie but it still played off well um speaking of which though why do the prefects have bathroom what's the point I mean, I get that the point is literally just for this scene in the book, but really, what is the point? <laughs> Why do the prefix have, like, this super nice bathroom yeah. for no reason? It's a good question. It's really, it's, it's really weird when you think about it. Like, okay, so four kids have this ridiculously nice bathroom that has all of these different types of soaps, and in the book, Harry's testing them all, and they all do different things. And it's just strange that you have this whole thing <laughs> set up for four kids. But, you know, whatever. No clue. Another thing um, that I was wondering about when it came to something in the book 
was because in the book, you know, there's the whole subplot, Hermione, social, social justice for the, with, with Spew and the house elves. I think it works pretty great in the book, but at the same time, I understand why they cut it out because it is so much that they would have to do with it. I find it odd that in the book, Hermione complains that Mr. Crouch sets Winky free. Isn't that exactly what she wants? She talks about how the house elves, it's slavery. But then literally the next couple of sentences later, Barty sets her free. And now Hermione's complaining that Winky is set free. I don't know if it was just that she was set free, but the fact that she was blamed. It's like she was, she wasn't set free because he felt bad for owning a house elf. I think her issue was that he kind of set her free as a kind of disrespectful dismissal because she was bringing him kind of like a tarnished reputation because she was in the wrong place Mm -hmm. at the wrong time. And then, you know, obviously, because when Winky is miserable in the book, Hermione's like, this is good. Why are you sad about it? And Winky's just, you know, inconsolable and drunk (laughs) every time we see her after. (laughs) So, So, like, Hermione is like, you should be happy servitude's messed up but yeah i think it was just the way in I which he dismissed fair. her that I guess didn't that's sit fair. well with her but i mean it just to me it like while reading it it was weird because she had just been talking about how horrible it was that you know the slavery of the house elves and then all of a sudden hey now you set her free and that's bad <laughs> but i get what you're saying there and sadly like i understand why they had to cut off all the mm-hmm. serious stuff but I really wish we could have seen him more in this movie, just because I love Gary Oldman and the character. Well, I I never want to see that CGI of how they do it with the fire. It looks horrible. (laughs) It's horrible. (laughs) Like, why is his face in the logs? It's like ember logs. Like I like when I when I read it, it's supposed to be in the like it's supposed to be in the flames, and it just looks cool. Like his his whole face is a flame, but it's like. His head's, like, at an awkward angle. Yeah. And he's, like, looking up. He's, like, hi, Harry. I'm sorry all this bad stuff's happening, do you? <laughs> and it's just, it's super awkward how they do the CGI for his, for, for that. I, I don't like it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. And for me, like, I, I understand them leaving out a lot of Sirius being there in person. But in the book, I think it just really sets up how devoted he is to Harry because he's risking you know his liberty and all that just to be close to harry during this time and he's living off rats and all that and it also like really helped me realize a lot of why i liked him because it's that really cool scene where ron's complaining about hermione talking about spew Mm -hmm. a lot and she's complaining about barty crouch being such a shit to winky and Ron's like, there she goes again. And Sirius is like, actually, Ron, I think she's got it better than you do because one of the best measures of a person is how they treat their inferiors. And you're just like, yes, Sirius. That's yes. fantastic. Book Sirius is fantastic. I mean, Sirius movie is great because it's like, he's, I think, like you said, it's Gary Oldman. We love Gary Oldman. But they don't, they definitely didn't do enough of Sirius in this movie. Also, uh, the the Professor McGonagall dance sequence is fucking awkward when she's teaching them all how to dance. Yeah. Uh, I hate that because that's, that's not in the book. She just, 
she doesn't go through teaching kids how to dance. She just mentions to Harry that he needs to know how to dance. Kind of offhanded. But, you know, director's choice. True. And so the thing I think they did really well is the graveyard scene. And they did a good job of making it creepy. I also liked the kind of artistic decision to have, like, how the statue moved oh, to grab yeah, Harry yeah. and hold him pinned. I want that, that statue really as my gravestone. And then, it's, like... It's great. I know. I just want it in my house. <laughs> right by my bedside. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, obviously, like, Voldemort coming back and, like, his whole body, how it came together and, like... Like, the black fumes yeah. became his cloak. Like, And Ralph Fiennes is just an amazing actor. So, like, even that, like, creepy after part where he's just, like, weirdly running his hands over his scalp is, like, that, I don't know. That was really sick. I, I, I love him as an actor yeah. as well. And you know what else is funny? So, I heard that they had a lot of backlash because the Death Eaters robes look like black KKK robes. <laughs> and so that's why in later movies, they forego uh, that. No, they should have kept it. It looks great. Um, like, they keep the masks. I don't I don't like the masks. Well, I, I... I kind of like the whole... I like the KKK look in a way. It reminds me of um, the... What is it? Oh, my goodness. The Spanish Inquisition era. Like the the religious robes during that time. Well, and they still have yearly. There's like a religious parade in Spain where they're wearing those style robes, and people talk shit about it looking like KKK robes. But they're like, we were here first, and we've been using these forever. So if anything, right. they copied us, and we're not changing hundreds and hundreds of years of our traditional wardrobe because these assholes decided mm -hmm. to misuse it. And I mean, I can understand people not liking that it looks like KKK robes. I think it makes sense that the bad guys look like the KKK, especially because they're convinced that they believe in, like, purity of bloodlines and all that fucked up stuff. I'm like, there's kind of a parallel that makes sense, and it's not like they're saying this is a good look. So, I don't know. I didn't like the, like, bony masks they had, but I think in the fifth one they start using the metallic ones that I think look better than just, like, these weird bone masks. I don't like the bone masks, and because you're not supposed to know who each person is, and it, it's supposed to be an anonymous thing. That's one thing I don't like about the graveyard scene is Voldemort pulling people's masks off because... No one's supposed to know. Like even even the Death Eaters don't know who each person is, technically. And it's mentioned by Karkaroff in the Pensieve sequence in the book that it, it's, it was hard to know who 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 was actually in it, but he had names. Another thing with the graveyard sequence, I felt like there weren't enough Death Death Eaters there. Like it almost it wasn't. It's supposed to like there's like I think in the book there's like over forty Death Eaters in the book there was like maybe ten that showed up, and it just sort of shows how uh, loyal people are to Voldemort after all this time that a prominent amount of Death Eaters show up instead of you know he just kind of has he has less people than Jesus had disciples so. How, how 
how great and mighty is Voldemort. Well, he doesn't unmask them in the book, but he does mention a couple people's names that are there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess you don't... It's not like in the movie he takes their mask off and introduces them one by one, which, like, yeah, that's a little kind of too on the nose. But, yeah, that that was a weird decision. There's... So, in this part in the book, I actually, like, bookmarked something I thought was pretty cool. Um, so, where they get to the end of the maze, and... Harry and Cedric are deciding to go together. Which, by the way, in the movie they make it way more competitive, whereas in the book there wasn't this weird thing of the vines attacking Cedric and Harry's like, oh, I was gonna let it get you. Which was just kind of weird because at this point they're they're not competing anymore. They're just helping each other and deciding, all right, how are we gonna do this? And they're arguing back and forth for a longer time on who should win. And so they grab onto it. And then it says, instantly Harry felt a jerk somewhere behind his navel. His feet had left the ground. He could not unclench the hand holding the Triwizard Cup. It was pulling him onward in a howl of wind and swirling color, Cedric at his side. And what I thought was cool about that is later, after Cedric gets killed and he's taking his body back, he gets the port key again and she ends that chapter with, he heard Voldemort scream of fury at the same moment that he felt the jerk behind his navel that meant the portkey had worked. It was speeding him away in a whirl of wind and color and Cedric along with him. They were going back. She does like that cool parallel of Cedric's with him both times, even though he's, you know, dead by the time he goes back. Um, but that was really touching. I agree with that. I hate the rush choice that they made because the maze was coming at them to go together it's 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 more yeah. it's more heartwarming when they how they do it in the book um there yeah. is there is one thing uh this movie has uh i don't know what it ruined something for me um or i technically i don't think it ruined it may, might have made things better um when they're choosing their dragons on the first task and uh and barty crouch is pulling uh, is holding it and they're pulling it out and barty crouch is mentioning what which dragon is which when uh, i think it's cedric when he pulls his out and it's the chinese fireball he goes ooh. so when any time and i'm gonna play it just, just so, so just so the audience can hear it the chinese fireball ooh. The ooh. Anytime I hear anyone <laughs> in the world, it, just, yeah. it, it can be at, for any reason, go, ooh. It, I automatically think of Barty Crouch <laughs> doing that. And it's been this way since I watched it as a kid. And it's going to be like this for the rest of my life. It's just hearing, is automatically thinking of Barty Crouch going, ooh. Yeah, I mean, I like. it was kind of this random moment of brevity that I kind of enjoyed. My, it's funny, when I got to that point in the book, I was like, I hope they got to keep these. And then it does talk about Harry later that night. He's going to bed and the Hungarian Wormtail model is like mm -hmm. curling up on his like bedside table. And I'm like, that's so cool that they get to keep these little kind of animatronic dragons. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that would be great to have, to have like a little tiny dragon. I mean, it's not, I guess it's not a real dragon, but you know, it would be cool. I wonder if it, it oh, she should have written it where it attacks, like, um, Ron's little figure of crumb in the book. 
That would have been great. Oh my gosh, that'd be funny. Okay, so graveyard scene I thought was handled well. I don't like how they did a lot of the aftermath. No. So immediately after, Cedric's dad, Amos, like that that was heartbreaking in the movie, how he's just crying over his son's body. Um, like I think that was well acted and well done. And, you know, touching. And but then you've got you've got Moody leading him away from everything. And it's interesting in the books. Dumbledore says that's when he knew something was wrong because he said no one else would have removed you from my presence at that moment. Yeah. Which I thought yeah, was really Al- powerful. Alistair Moody would have known not and to do that. Yeah. So that was really cool how that was something that really made Dumbledore realize what was wrong in the book. But again, the fact that they made Dumbledore so high-strung and screaming the entire movie... I love this part in the book because when they burst into the room, Harry, there's like this whole paragraph where Harry talks about how this is when he realized why people said Dumbledore could be scary because it's the first time he'd seen him like viscerally Mm -hmm. mad and he said that it was like power was radiating from him and that's amazing because you've had calm, collected Dumbledore this whole time and now in this moment where it makes sense because Harry might get killed by this impersonator, like Dumbledore's coming in guns blazing, and it's fantastic. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. That scene uh, is way better in the book, just like most of these scenes. And then, like, the aftermath, so in the, I understand this might be harder to show again, time constraints, but I love this part in the book because Dumbledore tells Harry, like, it's going to be hard, but you have to tell me exactly what happened mm-hmm. now. And, you know, Sirius is like, you know, leave him alone. He's like, no, he's going to be happy he does this in this moment. And then he takes him to the hospital wing where everyone's waiting for him. And Sirius gets to stay with him. And Harry talks about being hugged by Mrs. Weasley and how it was like being hugged Mm -hmm. by a mother. And it's so beautiful because he's just seen his mom, like the ghost of her, come out of Voldemort's wand. And Mrs. Weasley's the closest he gets to having a real mother. And, like, that whole part is so beautiful. And we don't really get any of that. We get this weird thing of Dumbledore showing up and being like, I never liked these curtains. I set fire to them in my fourth year or whatever. And I be- it's just like it... I believe he improved that because it was such an awkward sequence. I hope no one wrote that. Like, if someone wrote that, they need to be fired and never write anything ever again. It's so awkward. <laughs> I hope to God it was improv. And, like, it would have been fine at another time but he's just seen someone get killed and he's seen the man that wants him dead more than anything come back like with full power and now he also has harry's blood and harry's lost a layer of protection like all this fucked up stuff is happening right now and dumbledore's just talking about curtains (laughs) and it's so out of character because dumbledore always knows the right thing to say in terrible times and it just made Dumbledore extremely <laughs> awkward. Uh, plus, uh, and another thing, like they leave out, is you know Cornelius Fudge bringing in a Death Eater that sucks up Barty Crouch Jr.'s soul, and basically saying that the Ministry doesn't believe Dumbledore or Harry Potter, and that Voldemort's not back, and so you don't have that ending where you have the entire ministry against 
like not believing what they're saying. So you don't, it's, it's, it's strange. It's strange that they left that out. And the entire, the, the entire ending is really awkward because the, the music they choose is more uplifting sounding and they had just gone through all this horrible shit and they tried to make it somewhat uplifting and then you have Hermione being extremely scared and being like, I don't think everything's, things are going to be the same anymore. And Harry's like, nope. And then it ends. And it's, it's, it's a strange ending. It's a real strange ending. And doesn't, it did not flow. That, that, everything after the graveyard scene didn't flow. Everything before the graveyard scene didn't flow well. Everything after the graveyard scene didn't flow well. If you're going to watch this film, only watch about 10 minutes of it. Just watch the graveyard scene. That's it. Yeah. And then, like, a lot of the other cool stuff at the ending was Dumbledore, like, after Fudge leaves, he's like, okay, so I guess we're officially handling this differently now. And he immediately gets everything organized. And he makes Sirius show himself. And he makes him and Snape kind of, like, shake hands. In a really, it was like a really mm-hmm. awkward moment, but it was so cool because Dumbledore's like, we really don't have time for any petty bullshit anymore because stuff is getting serious. And that was just like a cool moment. And that's another thing I just really respected about this book is it's the one where J.K. Rowling is kind of showing younger audiences that the people in charge don't always do what's correct. And you shouldn't let that get in the way of when shit stinks to you because the movie left out an important in my opinion an important character uh ludo bagman yeah it doesn't show that some people get into power just because they're already famous and they're not the brightest people it's just people happen to like this person and that's when like that's what's great in the book is the book sort of plays that you're questioning whether it was actually ludo that was putting that put harry's name in there because he's you know He's, he's, he has a fondness for Harry, which makes me wonder, is Ludo a fucking pedophile? Like, he, like, he, he like does a couple of things. He's always, he's always out seeking Harry. I have a fondness for you, Harry. He didn't have a fondness for Cedric. He had a fondness for Harry. Honestly, I think, I don't think it's that. I think even Dumbledore sums it up because he says that Ludo just... He likes the spotlight, and I think he identifies with Harry as a fellow famous person. Like, he's just totally Mm -hmm. that kind of guy that will do whatever thinks people will be impressed by. So, like, they kind of mentioned that he joined the Death Eaters just because, like, it was a thing to do and something that just felt kind of cool to him, but, like, it was just so misguided. He just strikes me as that kind of person. It's better than him being a pedophile. I'll take take your... your (laughs) (laughs) your, uh, your suggestion over that than mine yeah but yeah i don't know this book kind of just it seemed really poignant to make that point especially i mean not to get political but we're living in a time of questioning authority i can say that much Mm -hmm. and sometimes authority needs to be questioned i think this was a cool way of bringing that up to younger people that just because you're young doesn't mean you're wrong and just because you know, you might feel like certain people aren't listening to you. Doesn't mean your point of view isn't important. Um, and exactly. So or, or even if you if you know the right thing, adults still may not listen to you. Yeah. And it's funny mentioning Ludo. Um, I again, I know why they didn't introduce him. It 
it would have been a lot to have him in there as well, but it was a really, I think, cool moment for Harry's character when the Weasleys are trying to set up the joke shop and they keep getting busted by their parents with all these, like, order forms for their prank stuff. And then Ludo had given them all this fake leprechaun gold and then Harry just gives them all his winnings from the Triwizard Cup. Like, that was really nice and I liked it. Yeah. No, it's uh, it just sort of adds to the niceties of Harry. Like, Harry just kind of goes out of his way to be really nice to people. So, book's fantastic. I still love this book. Oh, yeah, and he tells them um, that one stipulation was to get Ron a nice pair of dress robes. So he yeah. wouldn't have to wear the same old ones. I was like, that was cute. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, in the movie, I don't think Ron's dress w- robes were that bad. I mean, they were more flamboyant, but I think it would it would work in today's times. I guess well, it wouldn't have worked in the 90s. I don't know. It probably would have worked in the 90s. I think... I'm watching it as someone who likes vintage crap, so for me, I'm like, they just kind of look cool to me. I can see a young person not being into that. Yeah. Especially because it's, like, frilly and everything, but... I don't know, yeah, I was like, you'd put that in any thrift shop today and people would like it. I don't know. <laughs> fucking muggles they like weird shit (laughs) yeah i don't know what can i say oh i do have one other note i just remembered uh just because i've been doing this every single i've been keeping tabs on this (laughs) so of of the three uh ron i mean i know they didn't do the hogwarts cup this that this uh this this year or but uh ron comes in first out of the three with the most points at zero. <laughs> Hermione's in second with negative 10. And Harry has a negative 60. So, <laughs> great job, guys. All right. It's funny. I, I always forget you're keeping this tally, and it's like a fun surprise each time we talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, it's going to be sad. I don't, know if, I don't know if they do it in the next books. We'll see. Because I, I, I think what's her face basically stops it or something i can't remember like it's just instead of them losing points everyone just gets detention constantly so we'll see this might be the last time i can't remember if 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 there are points in the other books or not but i hope there are because i like keeping track of it it's fun for me (laughs) i think i'm gonna like this fifth one better than i did as a as a kid because as a kid you just kind of get annoyed because they're not able to do everything that they were able to do in the other books but as an adult reading it I think I'm going to like it just because it adds conflict. And I mean, Umbridge is a great character, and I look forward to rereading about Fred and George's hijinks because that was just the running highlight for me in that book. Yeah. There's not en- I don't think there's enough of that in so the movie. I think they only show it at the end. But Yeah. And But the lady who sure. plays Umbridge did a great job. She made me hate her, which was her job. Yep. <laughs> it's good acting. Yep, and good directing. So yeah. whoever directed it... Did a better job than this motherfucker. Yeah. Not that that's a really high bar we've set, but hey. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much the lowest bar you can get. This is literally one of my least favorite films to watch, and this is probably the last time I'm ever going to watch it. Oh, you know what's funny? You bringing up the like excitement of going to a movie theater. Look at this. We're rounding it out nicely. So you're talking about that at the beginning, and it just made me think about how when these book, when these movies were coming out, I'd already gotten my mom interested, so we were going to see each movie as it came out, and I don't remember which Harry Potter movie it was, but this was around the start of my time with Orthodontia, and when I first needed braces, I 
had to kind of start off with headgear. Ooh, damn. Which, it's the 2000s, and you'd think, we could have figured out something better already, but no, no, I needed headgear, and it was only at night, thankfully, but my mom was so set on me being an overachiever, a lot of avenues of my life, that when we went to the movie, she said, hey, wear your headgear to the theater, and I was like, mom, don't do me like this, and she's like, what? We're in a movie theater, no one's gonna see you, it's dark. Now, I know it's been a while since a lot of us have been to the movies, because there's a pandemic, but... Movies get pretty bright, and no one was, like, actively staring at me, but to be in public, with headgear on, watching Harry Potter with your mother, just about the nerdiest moment of my life, not in a good way, not the good kind of nerdy. Uh, I'm sorry, but your, your parents obviously hate you, they didn't take you to, <laughs> to Harry Potter world, they made you watch Harry Potter with the worst Harry Potter film, too, while, while having headgear. Yeah, you, you need some counseling. Um, we're going to find you at a counseling oh group. Dude, my mom can never listen to this because she'll think I just shit on them all the time. <laughs> I promise they're good people. <laughs> no, I like your parents. Your parents are great. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, Harry Potter 4. Uh, great book. Phenomenal book. I'm glad book. it's over. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, God, never watching that film again. No. It's the worst. ...to be allowed to put forth their name for the Triwizard Tournament. This decision That's is... Rubbish. Rubbish.